On the Empire Podcast this week, our can suntans are fading just in time for us to welcome Sarah Ronan and Gemma Arthur's vampires in Byzantium. Plus, there's a huge twist. We have M Night Shyamalan on the show, and the usual film reviews, news, and nonsense on the only movie podcast that thinks the Fast and Furious Six runway wasn't long enough. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. We're no longer recording this on the fly on the French Riviera. Instead, we're back in our state-of-the-art, climate-controlled, fully computerized super studio in the heart of London's bustling West End. Has all mod cons? Just listen to this. Uh, computer, introduce the rest of the team. Computer, introduce the rest of the team. Might have to get that fixed. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it myself then. Uh, joining me this week is Empire's Queen Geek. He's been getting even more hot Winchester action than Sean Riley, thanks to her supernatural season eight marathon. <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. How Hello. are you? Yeah, season great. Season well, great, like, really? Yeah, really good. Uh, God, I love Dan and Fred. Is that, that what uh, they're called? Dean and Sam. That's close, close enough. Close enough. Next up is an occasional visitor to the pod booth, but always a welcome one. He's overly hairy, he shows remarkable signs of intelligence from time to time, and has often been known to bring issue meetings to a head by flinging his poo at people. Yes, it's Dan of the Planet of the Apes. It's, it's Dan Jolin. Hey, Dan. Hey, uh, the only good human is a dead human. <laughs> wow. This is why we don't find Dan at the bottom of the Really dark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's gotten really twisted already. <laughs> I didn't expect that to start off that way, to be honest. Uh, and last but not least, is a man so dedicated to art house cinema, he insists on being paid in fear because they're his wages of fear you you see um, it's, it's it's Phil DeSimian <laughs> oh god you're right Phil you're gonna remake that joke as Sorcerer next week <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm pretty well actually Dan and I have been having an argument this morning about the difference between a venomous snake and a poisonous snake there's, there's, no, no, such thing, there's no such thing as a poisonous snake yeah this is, this is my point though if it's got venom glands surely it's therefore also poisonous only if you eat them yeah but you see what you see where I'm coming from you I think are that the rest of the meat isn't poisonous, poisonous. Snake yep. tastes like chicken, I'm told. Mm. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Or maybe chicken tastes like snake. <sighs> You've just turned everything on its head. Uh, shall we begin? Sure. Yeah, okay. let's, let's talk about films. Yeah. All right. As ever, we're going to kick off your questions, comments, and death threats. This one's from at WillDriver93. I like this one. Hmm. Who's the best actor from your hometown? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody believes Ray Fiennes was born in Ipswich. Can I start? Keep going. Do. Right. Okay. Where are you from? Where are you from? I'm from Bexley Heath. <laughs> all right. It's, now, a real, it's now, a real place. I'll just start. I'll warm up. Okay. okay. Steve Backley. Right. Who? Javelin. 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 Yeah. Silver from medalist. Bexley Heath. Yep. Delia Smith. Oh, that's brilliant. good. From Bexley Heath. Kate Bush. Gosh. From Bexley Heath. Boy George. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And he was in an episode of the 18. He was from Bexley Heath, but an actor. The best actor. Who from has Bexley lived in Heath. Bexley Heath. Who's lived in Bexley Heath. Who's lived in Bexley Heath. He's not actually from Bexley Heath, but he's lived in Bexley Heath. Roger Moore. No oh. way. Oh, yes. Although, oh, actually, oh. he lived in oh, Old oh. Bexley, so if you want to be really didn't, sort of pedantic. Didn't Bexley but, Heath feature yeah. in uh, uh, The Children of Men? It. What, do you know what? Or was that Bexley? It might have done, actually. Yes. You're ringing thing. a bell. Yeah. You are ringing so a bell in my head. So that's a sort of a film thing, if not an actor. Yes, yes. Oh, it's, it's appropriate. That's amazing. Mm. That, did you ever see him down the shops, buying a pint of milk? No, no. Before my time, Chris, I was born in 1974. Okay. <laughs> but I'm sure he was shuffling around. No. Not, driving, not by then. Driving a bus on two no. wheels or whatever it was that he, he used to do. Yes. Jumping on crocodiles in yeah. the high street down yeah. by the clock tower. <laughs> before some uh, trendies came along and tried to beat him up. Pushing young children into the canal. Yeah. Wow. Having pigeons do double takes of him in the Bexley Heath. I presume there's a square. Is there a square? No, not really. A, a, a huge, a huge shopping centre. I haven't been there in a few years. It's changed a lot. Oh, okay. You've changed, Dan. I know. You've we changed. all have. Um, it was Bex Hill. <laughs> oh, what? damn. Children and men. Damn Children's it. was Bex Hill. Oh, yeah. there you go. Bex Hill, oh, yeah, Bex Hill on sea. That was it. Yes. It's all right. It's all right. Yes, thanks, all right. Phil. Let's move on. It's amazing how it's you. I know, right? It suddenly came to me. Using your mind during during that using time. Using my mind. Um, phone. But there you go. But basically, <laughs> he feels right for children of sure. men. If, if you've been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay. Uh, Helen, where are you from? I'm from Port Stewart, and I don't know of any actors from Port Stewart. Do you know anyone who was around Port Stewart? Yes, I do. As you have probably guessed uh, is it Jimmy Nesbitt it's Jimmy Nesbitt okay. from uh, from Coleraine um, uh, Port Stewart we can claim Jimmy um, Nesbitt Jimmy Nesbitt Jimmy Nesbitt uh, from Port Stewart we can claim uh, the guy who wrote Red Sails in the Sunset was 
from or wrote it in Port Stewart. I don't know. Jimmy uh, Jimmy Hendrix once played Port Stewart. Apparently, <laughs> did he in, win in my school gym? That was exciting. Really? Yeah, as it became before my school after gym. his death. Yeah. Uh, but before, before I believe, okay. yeah. And um, and also we have a novelist called James White, who's a very good science fiction novelist. Who we have um, a, a writer called James. We White. We do, and actually James White owns some books by James White, but it's a different person. So, hang on, but doesn't uh, doesn't Graham McDowell, the U.S. Open go- uh, winning golfer, come from your hometown? He's kind of no. He's from the next town over. He's from Portrush. Um, he's kind oh, of he's my surrogate cousin. Isn't your mum trying to set you up with him or something? No, his mum was trying to set me up with him, but he's now married, so it's okay. Okay, that's fine. You, you missed out there. <laughs> I did. You really, I really missed did. out there. Phil, where yes. are you from? Well, obviously originally from Transylvania, but by way of Chorleywood, <laughs> Hertfordshire. So the most and famous actor was Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the most famous person I was aware of from Chorleywood up until this morning was the guy that wrote the dangerous book for boys, who I believe still lives there. Wow. Which would explain my daredevil lifestyle and skill at Conkers. <laughs> Shut up, Helen. Um, but I did some actual journalism. I called the excellent Chorleywood bookshop, uh, check it out on the high street, and asked them if we have any famous actors in the area. And they said, and I quote, that bloke off EastEnders. <laughs> Probing deeper... I discovered that that bloke off East Enders is actually Martin Kemp, who lives locally. Oh, my. Wow. Currently, I don't know if he's not from Chorleywood. I don't even know if he lives in Chorleywood, but he's nearby. All right. So that's what we've got. Uh, and you've got Craze That's star. the best Kemp. That's the best. He's the, the best Kemp. Yeah. And the best, the best ballet. Yeah. Ballerina. Spandau Ballet, Martin for those Kemp. who are Exactly. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's all we've got, really. I haven't got a lot of competition for him. Amazing. How about um, you, Chris? Well, I'm from Banbridge. In Northern Ireland, and nobody famous ever came from Banbridge, apart from. I was uh, going to say Daniel Radcliffe's granny, surely. Daniel Radcliffe's grandmother and Daniel Radcliffe's father are both in Banbridge, and Daniel Radcliffe has been to Banbridge. Hey, therefore, I'd, I'd claim that. Yeah, Michelin stars all around. Uh, I think that's how it works, and it's been very highly read in TripAdvisor. Uh, but otherwise, no. Gene Fitzpatrick is a comedian who comes from Banbridge, and that's about as, as good as it gets. But I was born in Newry, and Wikipedia tells me that. John Lynch was oh, born in Newry. Remember John Lynch? Lynch? Yeah, 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 George yeah, Benston. He was he was in that TV drama called Chimera. Isn't, yes, isn't he yes. in the fall at the moment? Probably, probably. Well done, John and Lynch. And he was in um, Sliding um, Doors, um, Killer Robot, Killer Robot, Dermot Mulroney, Hardware, Hardware. Well done, John Lynch, uh, for being also from Newry, and uh, his sister Susan Lynch is obviously. Uh, from Yuri as well Away. as is the actor Michael Legg we all know the actor Michael Legg and uh, more famously the legendary and I know you guys are going to love this Phil you'll, you'll, you'll get this Pat Jennings oh Ooh. hey there he we came go. to our school once Pat him. Jennings the Exhausting man who is a lovely lovely man and has the biggest hands I've ever seen hmm. sorry can I just say Dermot Moroni wasn't <laughs> in hardware Sorry, everyone. It wasn't Dermot Mulroney. It's it the other guy who I always confuse. Is it Dylan McDermott? Dylan McDermott. Yeah. Sorry. This is getting really confusing. Okay. The guy from the guy from Sliding Doors. Yeah, John Lynch. It's John Lynch. From, the guy from, yeah. the, that's yeah. amazing because I was watching The Fall and he's in and it. Natalie went. My girlfriend went. Um, I'll give you two pounds if you can guess what film he's been in. And I went. That's the guy from Sliding Doors. Hang on. Your girlfriend goes around asking a film. <laughs> Placing bets with a film journalist. Guess what? Guess what film this guy's been in? Yeah, she owes me a lot of money. <laughs> She's going to learn that the hard way. If you're out there listening, you owe me two pounds. It's like that. That's Will Smith. <laughs> I think I, yeah. I think I can tell. What do you mean? If you're out there listening, you owe me two pounds. You're going to see her later, surely. This is strange. how we communicate. <laughs> this is all getting away from us. Let's. Uh... Wow. Okay. Let's move on to another question, shall we? Um, this is from at Gut Punch Prod which is surely something Helen you've done <laughs> absolutely <laughs> in your life every Friday night <laughs> if you were a vampire uh, Northern Irish joke there for people if you were a vampire which actor would you sink your fangs into so they would go on making movies forever presumably you know yeah. they'd only have to do night shoots I guess yeah, but, yeah that's a that's a weird one that's a bit dark isn't it Dan you've been very dark on the podcast so far but who would you sink your well, fangs into I'm going to go light now suddenly um, I would say nobody because I would never curse anyone with immortality <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Edward Cullen. Jeez. It doesn't work out well. Everyone around you just dies. Yeah, they all you... die and then you're left alone and you can't truly love. You, yeah. you know, you can't. You, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible, awful curse. Have you and I wouldn't, infl- I, I, I wouldn't inflict it on anyone. I think it'd be awesome. All. I think it would genuinely be awesome. You get really? over it. You get over it. No, Someone I don't think you would. Over it. Kevin James. Else. I don't think the pain ever ends. I'd finally complete Candy Crush Saga, I'll tell you that much. Give me that much time. Maybe. 
Wow. Mm, I probably wouldn't. Actually, I, I feel like you've read maybe too much Anne Rice slash <laughs> Stephanie Mayer at a young <laughs> age there, Dan. Um, no. It was a surprise. No, I, I watched The Lost Boys. Uh, a surprisingly sensitive and romantic answer from you. I wasn't expecting that. Well, yeah. Thank you, Phil. You I made think. my answer sound quite flimsy. So okay. What's your I was going to say, well, I just wrote down Michael Caine or Christopher Lee, but I think Chris, someone's already done that with Christopher Lee. So, well, his longevity is, is self-evident. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a question, someone that's looking like they're, they're on the way out and we should kind no, of revive. No, because you wouldn't want someone like, you know, uh, like, oh, no, I don't want to name any names, but you wouldn't want to sink your teeth into a doddery old actor and then have him be doddery for the rest of their lives. You know, you want to if you want to bite Michael Caine, you want to bite Michael Caine when he was in Get Carter, don't you? So he could be Michael Caine, Get but, Carter. But then for he'd the rest never be life. like Alfred, and we'd have lost that. That's true, Mish O'Hara. Um, yeah, that's true. This is yeah. a tough one. It is a tough one. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't have. So an it's gonna be someone one. young. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and juicy. Uh, oh goodness! But this, before this gets any more inappropriate, because I can tell where you're going with this, Dan, I'm going to move on to the next question, what? which is from. <laughs> At Mojo Cola, great name. Uh, which film would you use to introduce your two-year-old boy to Disney? So you did specify boy, but you know that's just make it general. Dan, you probably have encountered this. You have children. Yes, I do. So uh, at what point? Well, did I would your boys like to point out I wouldn't start them with Disney, and I didn't start them with Disney. I started them with Ghibli, and I started them with My Neighbor Totoro, oh, which is the perfect starter film. But this is a specific, for anyone. Uh, a but I know. I understand question. the question. I understand the question, and I would say The Jungle Book. Oh, good call. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say the Jungle mm. Book as well. I don't have kids, but that seems to me to be the uh, the more yeah. uh, a young boy would appreciate that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 good songs. It's not too long. Uh, animals, colorful. Yes, uh, it only goes a little bit wrong at the end where it gets a bit lovey dovey with the girl, and and you know if you've got boys, Yuck. if you've got boys, that sort of a bit sort of they they switch off before that happens. Um, but yeah, and if you enjoy it, you can see large parts of it again in Robin Hood. That's true. They reuse all the memories. Yes. <laughs> yes. Although my children have never seen Robin Hood, the Disney version. Uh, of course, I've shown them the Russell Crowe film. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'd love it if they use large parts of it again in the Russell Crowe yeah. version. <laughs> well, that's what I actually thought for like two seconds after you said that. I was like, what? Oh, right. I do remember the singing vultures turning up. at <laughs> <laughs> going, that's a bit weird, but okay. <laughs> no weirder than anything else that's happening. <laughs> yeah, no weirder than anything that happened in Prometheus. So I'm going to go with this. That's it for the questions this week. If you want to get in touch with us, as usual, methods, usual channels, we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast otherwise we won't see it uh, we're on Facebook Empire Magazine and people do email us occasionally podcast at empireonline.com usually as as always offering to extend our penises but sometimes a nice question does slip through uh, so there we go on to the first interview of the week now Saoirse Ronan is one of the finest acting talents of her generation carving out a string of cracking performances since she burst onto screens in Joe Wright's Atonement so much so in fact that not only can I now spell her name but I can also pronounce it because Helen you can attest that I I had problems with it in the early days it was you did Suersa, yeah. sp- 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 slurpy, slurpy blurp. I assumed it was yeah. some kind of cultural um, point you were making and no you know, genuinely it's, it's, I have a real it's problem Ronan, isn't it Hmm? It's Ronan. Ronan. Ronan, yeah, Ronan. Ronan. Yes, okay. it's Ronan, Ronan. So um, it's a really, really interesting take on the vampire story, I guess. Um, and it's from Neil Jordan, who, of course, brought us an interview with the vampire. I mean, was that is that something you're a fan of? Was that a, a sort of a, a part of your decision to do the role? Yeah, I think so. I think knowing that um, that was something that obviously Neil really enjoyed and he yeah. was really good at anyway um, and had a, had a real he kind of really put a stamp on that sort of genre as well so early on so knowing that that he could really handle that kind of work I think drew me to the project I wanted to work with Neil anyway because yeah. I think he's a brilliant director but certainly knowing that he that he has an appreciation for that kind of gothic style was yeah. important yeah but this is a very different kind of vampire film so you know for those who haven't seen it yet what are the the rules of vampires in this one they don't sparkle for example you know? we don't sparkle <laughs> we're not sparkly no well we don't actually refer to ourselves as vampires True. we call ourselves succreants we don't have fangs we have a talon that grows out of our thumbnail and we use that to slit people's throats and their wrists and things like that all those lovely things Um, and that ties into how we're actually turned into vampires in the first place one thing that that we a rule that we kind of follow which I really like um, which I think is just more of a Victorian thing than anything else is that they'll wait to be asked to go into a house they they wait to be invited into a building Um, and you see that throughout the film so that's that's quite nice but they do have all these rules that they strictly have to follow Mm. otherwise they'll die so and and your character in particular is very polite 
in her vampirism. We see this early on in the film, so it's not a, a sort of a spoiler, but really sort of forming quite a personal relationship in some ways with your victims. She does, yeah. Well, the thing is with Eleanor is that she never really wanted to have immortality. Um, it wasn't her choice, it was her mother's. And it was because she was dying and she wanted to give her this gift. This was a gift that she had stolen from a brotherhood, so already it, it wasn't theirs, you know. So um, I think Eleanor's constantly trying to justify what she has to do in order to survive. Um, she hates herself for it. She hates what they have to do. And I think Clara really for her um, is a reminder of that. So the victims that she chooses um, are people who are ready to die. So it's almost like a, a mercy killing in a way. Yeah. You know, she'll she'll go into a hospital and she almost has this connection with, with her victim. And they basically tell her, listen, I know who you are. They think of her as a sort of angel angel mm. and I'm ready to die and, and that's how it happens and I mean at the time everyone she kills is old yeah. they're they're all like 90 plus you know so I found it a bit odd when we were down it at first I thought oh, this is a bit weird you know stuck in the blood out of a 90 year old's wrist <laughs> um but it's like your uh, most glamorous take on that yeah I know it was like oh this isn't I don't like this at all um but then I saw it put together and it really was quite beautiful and there's one scene where um she walks behind a frosted glass window um and you don't actually see her kill the woman but you know you know what's going on and it's really powerful um so I mean how about there there's a sort of a, a bit of a feminist kind of message in here as well because you know Eleanor and, and Clara have a a, di- a more difficult time of it and are under more pressure I guess because they're women um, whereas um, and we I, I don't know how much of a spoiler it is to say too much about that but mm. you know we learn uh, in the film that you know their own kind are kind of hunting them yeah well the thing is is that it was never really their right to become Sucreans mm. um, and I think it's okay to say that there was a brotherhood that was developed within this story um, that found eternal life somewhere in in the hills in you know county cork um somewhere in ireland and um and Gemma's character finds out about this she discovers this she's a prostitute she's dying her child is in an orphanage is dying she hasn't she hasn't seen her in 16 years and um she decides almost as part of revenge to take this gift from them from under their noses and she gives it to her daughter as well um so it is very much a, a sort of uh, revenge that's taken on mankind really yeah. um and and male chauvinists and people who have put her down and and you know the man who's raped her for so long and you know thing, things like this that she really wanted to get rid of yeah just in terms of making the film i'm always slightly possibly morbidly fascinated by all these kind of you know, films featuring a bit of gore and a bit of blood. Yeah. You know, so what did they use for blood here? You know, did, were there different kinds, you know, when you had to have to get it all around your mouth and stuff? Like, what did it, what does it taste like? Is it syrupy stuff or what do they use? It's awful. It's horrible <laughs> stuff. It's this, um, it's basically this mixture of food colouring and corn syrup and like a bucket of sugar and some mint i could taste oh, mint <laughs> as well um Put you off brushing it was your teeth re- for yeah i just didn't want anything to do with it i mean it wasn't real blood thank mm. god so that was a plus but um but i mean there's a scene where blood just basically it's a bit of a carry moment it gets poured all over my face and i had that for about a week i had that whole look for about a week and it was awful oh. it's just it gets in your hair and everything yeah. you know I was. We were talking to the Evil Dead team, and she said she was yeah. finding it in her ears for about a month after. Oh no! <laughs> I found it in my nails, and oh, it was horrible. Oh yikes! But um, I mean, recently, obviously, we've just had the host come out here in the UK as well. Mm. Um, so you've played, you know, you've played a, a take on a vampire anyway. You've played uh, both body snatcher and body snatchy. <laughs> you know, these kind of uh, reinterpretations of, of kind of classic movie monsters. What's yeah. next? Is are you going to play Frank Frankenstein? Well, no, because I don't want to get into a habit of doing that yeah. and uh and i did go from byzantium straight on to the host so you know i'm always worried that i'll i don't want to do the same thing basically i don't want to get into a pattern i don't want people to know me for you know doing the same kind of thing or anything and i did feel like i had done quite a few sort of otherworldly type characters mm. so i i was desperate to play a human i was desperate to play <laughs> a really kind of current 
you know teenage girl and I got to do that there was a a film that I did after the host then called How I Live Now and she's a girl from New York and she curses a lot and she wears a lot of leather and she's messed up and you know but she's a very you know she's a modern teenager or a young woman um and it was so great that that just happened to come along because I needed to do something like that to break it up a little yeah. bit for me. So um, Kind of get grounded again. And you've yeah. got, is it uh, Grand Budapest Hotel coming up with Wes Anderson? Yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel. That's been shot now. Um, and they start post on that soon. And I'm about to do How to Catch a Monster, um, which is a film that's uh, written and to be directed by Ryan, Ryan Gosling. So. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ryan, We've it's Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what kind of a film is it? What's the kind of mood of the film? How to Catch a Monster. Yeah. It's quite cool and a bit twisted. Okay. And a bit unusual. I can't say too much about it, I don't think. But it's very much about these really unusual individual characters who live in a sort of um, abandoned town. And it's about how they survive and how they deal with everyday life and how they just kind of want to get out of there, really. But it's very odd, you know. It's all very odd. And uh, and Wes Anderson as well. How was he as a as a director? Wes is wonderful. Again, I've never worked with anyone like Wes. He's so specific about what he wants. He has everything planned and actually drawn up before we shoot yeah. the film. So every single scene, it's not even storyboarded. It's like a, a step above that. It's um, animatics is what he calls. Yeah. I think. Um, and he would have his little mini iPad on set every day and show us what the scene would be and what it would look like. So we'd have the beats of the dialogue, how we were supposed to move, where we were supposed to go. Everything was already um, kind of determined. Wow. And it was amazing. You mm. know, it was re- it was very, very different. Um, but I really loved it because I know... I know it'll be great and I've never said that about a film I've been in but when when you know your work so well and you know what works yeah. it's brilliant. That's obviously how he gets those very precise really gorgeous detailed kind of beautiful the film, like, absolutely yeah. beautiful and amazing shots like his camera crew are so brilliant Bobby Oman who's his DP who's worked on everything with him since Bottle Rocket um he's had the same grip for years um and they just know him so well. They know how he works. They're fa- everyone's fascinated by him. And and what's what's after that? Have you got anything planned for the near future? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do after How to Catch a Monster. I think I may take the summer off actually. Wow. And yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so I think I might do that. And then in the autumn, there's a few things floating around, a few there's exciting things. So All yeah, right. well, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. There's Sharona there. Movie news time now. Let's start off with biggest news of any movie month. The new Empire is Ooh. on the shelves even as we speak with Hugh Jackman looking resplendent in our exclusive cover shoot with a uh, his claws and a big Japanese samurai sword and hmm. his, his face. His adamantium injected cover. Yeah, it's not really injected with adamantium, Dan. No, we did it? inject it no, with adamantium. It did. was a difficult yeah. process. Yeah. It was actually cripplingly expensive uh, three <laughs> magazines in our company have had to close down as a result of this cover but we did it we injected adamantium into it and I can confirm it hurts every time <laughs> we have some really cool stuff this month actually as you'd expect there's a huge piece on Wolverine and in particular you know Hugh Jackman's relationship with Wolverine the character and you know what he's done what he hopes to do what this film's all about we've also got the uh, geek god that is Joss Whedon talking about much to do about nothing and who also, did he speak to Helen he spoke to me hooray okay. um, did he have a choice uh, no he did <laughs> no, not I stalked him and wouldn't let him go uh, we have the bling rings for a couple of new film yep. we have Guillermo del Toro writing for us exclusively Holy. all about Pacific Rim which Holy was uh, very 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 cool of him and you will learn all about his uh, weirdness as a kid and how he liked to sleep in coffins mm. when he was little what I love about that piece, actually, is he tells you a hell of a lot about the film. We actually, mm. we did discuss in the offices, is, does this stuff count as spoilers? And I, I felt like, well, look, if, if Guillermo himself is putting this out there, I think we're all, I think we're all right. But, um, but yeah, it really, really does break yeah. down all the major fight sequences. But it doesn't, film. I mean, it doesn't tell you lots of the character stuff isn't in there. So there's still mm. lots, lots to come. And also, let's face it, with Pacific Rim, the big joy is not, is there going to be a twist? The big joy is going to be, Giant robots yeah. versus giant monsters. Yeah, it's going to be so much yeah. fun. Yeah, no, it really, really sort of uh, made me 
even more excited about that film actually with his piece. So Absolutely. I think it's going to be ace. Yep, I do as well. Um, also in the magazine this month we have a fantastic Breaking Bad feature which is yep. our, our look back yeah. at a show that, that finishes very, very soon. Very, very soon. It's going to yes. be very, very sad indeed. And that's, uh, that's really, really good. We were on set in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico. Uh, Dan, you were on set of Thor The Dark World and your was. exclusive set report. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I think the first in the world. Is that, is that correct? Um, I believe so. Um, yeah. yeah, it was... It, it's looking really good. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed by the choice of, of director because uh, is uh, Alan Taylor, who you probably are not that familiar with, but he's uh, worked most recently on Game of Thrones. And Marvel actually went to, you know, uh, I think three filmmakers from uh, from Game of Thrones, three directors of Game of Thrones, and, and settled on Alan Taylor. And I think that gives you a really good feel of the kind of look they're going for with this new one. So it's going to be a little bit less... Flash Gordon and a little bit more um, well flesh and blood I suppose you could say <laughs> fair enough also in the magazine this month we have an exclusive set visit from the world's end I was on set and spoke to Simon Pegg Nick Frost and Edgar Wright on set saw some excellent action taking place we have a uh, Benedict Cumberbatch talking about you know who and yes if you haven't seen Star Trek in the Darkness we did forget to put a spoiler warning on there and yes it does give away that my wife play. is so angry with you. La, la, la. Listen, listen, listen my wife listen, last night was there. reading the magazine listen. and she got to that page and she absolutely ripped a, me a new hole thanks to you yeah that okay well a couple of things obviously it's our fault mea culpa it's actually my fault so we didn't put a spoiler warning in there apologies to anyone who can you say to, sorry had, Lucy sorry Lucy thank you but the film's been out for several weeks now. You should have seen it. And also, frankly, the writers of the movie are now basically openly saying that, uh, that Benedict Cumberbatch is playing you la, know la, who. La. <laughs> on Twitter. You can't so I think it's, say it's that, out there Chris. now. It's out there now in the zeitgeist. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Lucy has two children. I don't want to. I don't want to take Dan's side on anything here. But you know, it's only been two weeks. No, it's been three weeks. Three weeks. It's been three weeks. She's only got two children, Dan. Get her yeah, out to the cinema. She has got. So, so have I. Apologies to everyone who had the, the movie. Oh, also, it's not the big reveal. It happens quite early in the movie. There are other twists and things like, you know, like... like don't! I feel, like, I, don't, we're, I, don't, I feel like we're making it worse. Please. Are you apologising no, 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 or no, no, justifying? No, no, just I'm a, step away. I'm, I'm doing a bit of both. No, I'm you're just not. Saying, like, well, that's a much oh, better surprise. Ali! <laughs> Can you believe that, Ali? That'd be, that'd be quite fun if, just, if I just unleashed a folly of spiders. I still haven't seen it. What? Oh. I feel this has turned into like uh, Frost Nixon. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What are you going to uh, do yes. next time? Put a spoiler Probably. warning on it. I'll put a spoiler warning on next time. And if you if you're intrigued by learning about that spoiler and you want to know more about it, then check out our Star Trek: The Darkness spoiler specials. Nice segue. With the writers Damon Lindelof, Bob Orsi, uh, Alex Kurtzman, and producer Brian Burke, in which they talk about Benedict Cumberbatch playing. So anyway, um, we also have a, a report on Kick-Ass 2 with Matthew Fawn talking about Lat and uh, his other movies uh, he has in the pipeline. There's a Hunger Games. That was me as well. Exclusivo yep. that Helen did. There's a <laughs> status quo in this month's issue. Uh, there's a great tribute to the late, great Ray Harryhausen written exclusively for us by uh, John Landis. Uh, Paul Bentley's in there as well. It's a look at uh, Ben Wheatley's A Field in England. This month's pint of milk is Steve Carell. And I think one of my favourite features in the magazine is Phil's massive interview with Steven Soderbergh, who is finally retiring with Behind the Candid Labra, which is out in cinemas in a couple of weeks' time. And Phil went along. And what was he conceived, Phil? What did we do with him? Um, well, we did an exit interview with him. So I kind of donned the cloak of HR manager and sat down with him and went through, I think, based on our own company's exit interview strategy. It was. Exit interviews being the interview that takes place when you leave the company. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. On paper, you know, the, the anodyne questions like, you know, what have you learned? What would you improve about the business, et cetera, et cetera. But in the context of this, and I think credit where credit's due, I think, Christy, the idea may have originated with you. Uh, that's not important. That's not important. That's it not did, important it did right originate now. with Chris, important. who is it's awesome. Not, it's not important. It's not. Look, guys. Okay. Look. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, it worked brilliantly because. But um, well, I'm not ruining Star Trek for thousands of people. <laughs> um, credit where credit's due. I think the the idea originated with Chris, but it worked so well because whilst the questions were you know formatty, he really is in a in an open minded place at the moment, and he's he was happy to talk about the frustrations of, of, of making movies in Hollywood. It wasn't all negative, though. It's it's a really interesting... He was so interesting. I had two hours just me and him sitting there, which was probably one of my career highlights. And it leads into a couple of things that didn't make the piece because there was so much stuff that he talked about 
a lot of it's going to appear online. One of which was he he talked about going back to his second film Kafka, which I think he had some some issues with at the time. Um, he made that in the sort of afterglow of Sex Lies and Videotape, and he's going back and he's doing a, what he described as a brutal re-edit. He's, oh, wow. he's calling it a hardcore art movie, which if you've seen Kafka, a lot of people would describe it as a hardcore art movie. Um, anyway, so he's going to be doing that. There's some stuff on the, on the website about that and. Also, interestingly, he talked about Breaking Bad, which sort of ties into our big feature in the magazine. Um, he's a massive Breaking Bad fan, and this is, I think, a world exclusive. His idea for a Breaking Bad movie. Um, <laughs> he never got as far as pitching it to Mark Johnson and Vince Gilligan, and he wants he wants us to know that this would be the first time they'd heard of it. But his idea was that they would finish the they would finish the season, the current season, with two a back to back episode in cinemas. It would only be advertised during the TV show itself, leading into a one-week release in cinemas of the last two episodes as a kind of a grand finale. So it's worth mentioning because he's obviously now making television programs himself, and this could be a way back for him into cinemas if if he sort of pursues this avenue. I think it's a really interesting idea, and it's nice to gel TV and cinema together in that way. Cool. What else is happening in the world of news this week then, people? Well, the big Bond news, I guess, is that apparently Sam Mendes might be back. What? Yes. So lots of Never Say Never Again headlines flying around <laughs> on that one. Um, yeah, no, apparently he's he's back in talks despite having said, nope, definitely not coming back. Got other things I want to do. He's having talks with the producers again, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli. Um, and there's a sense that they are willing to wait for him to do what he wants to do in between, uh, which obviously is some theatres. He's got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory coming up. Um, uh, and then he could come back and the dream team will be reunited for more billion-dollar bond fun. Um, so I was kind of I was quite surprised. I really got the impression that he, he was absolutely adamant that uh, he, he wouldn't be doing another one, um, immediately at mm. least. Um, I guess it's a little bit like, you know, are they making him an offer he can't refuse kind of a thing. I, I don't mean, you know, cutting off a horse's head and <laughs> putting it in his bed or anything like that. Um, you know, maybe it's just, you know, they've kind of... Uh, I'm going to be crass. Maybe they just wave more money under his nose. Who knows? It, it's all. I mean, it's also but, possible that they've given him more scope to work with. Like, maybe there's some crazy idea that he has that he'd like to try with Bond, and, mm. you know, they've said, yeah, give it a go, you know, you did well last time. Yeah. I mean, it could be, you know, so it could be artistic um, inducements as well as financial ones. Wow, that's a crazy thought, I but know, you could right? be right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. This is all in the rumour mill, pretty yeah, much. For it is, it is. So we should say that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still other names which have, have been mentioned and, and talked about, uh, you know, Ang Lee, David Yates, who I think is a good shout, Shane Black, Nicholas Winding Refn, <laughs> uh, which I would Can't love to one. see, but yeah. I don't think I ever will. Uh, Tom Hooper, you know. Um, I, I heard a rumour uh, a short while ago, I'm sure other people have too, that Nolan actually was having talks, Christopher Nolan was having talks. I can't see that. But I, I just I can't. can't see I, that. I just, he's, I think he's... He spent the last 10 years making Bond movies, yeah. they were just called Batman. <laughs> Pretty well, much. There are similarities between Skyfall and, um, you know, certain Batman movies, just saying. The 1966 Batman. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the, with the, baby, shark, with the baby ducks. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, that's interesting. I'd, I'd like to see that. But at the same time, you know, I, well, one thing I like about the Bond franchise is the fact you different directors come in and, and have their, you know, take on it or they're attempted to take on it. Yeah. No, absolutely, and it, it's interesting as well. The uh, the caliber of directors associated with the project has has gone up. Yeah. I always felt there was a uh, a reluctance on the part of Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson to engage with proper A list directors who would bring who would you know who would be slightly, I guess, more difficult to control in the likes of. And this is no disrespect to Roger Spottiswood or Michael Apted, but people like that. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So maybe the maybe the rewards that that Skyfall reaped have emboldened them somewhat. Yeah, I think so. Has Bellatar been linked with this yet? Not yet, but I'm sure it's only Who's a matter she? of time. She's the one with the uh, she's the one with the, the the shoe with the the knife in it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Helen, what have you got for us? Um, I have news of Quicksilver, uh, and this is uh, this is a, a very odd 
It's not so much news almost as a situation. Uh, we heard uh, <laughs> last week that Joss Whedon was planning to put Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch into his Avengers 2. Uh, obviously, that's the current draft of the script. Things could change, but that's what he has submitted at the moment to Marvel. That's what he's kind of working on. And now, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have for 40 years been in the Avengers in the comics. They've been thoroughly associated with the Avengers, had many uh, adventures as part thereof. However... In technical comic book lore, they are also Magneto's kids and mutants rather than superheroes. So, Brian Singer has now cast Quicksilver in his X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm. And that is a very interesting development. Are we going to have two Quicksilvers? Are we going to have the same Quicksilver in a kind of crossover mode, the beginnings of a, a reunion of the Marvel Universe? Or will this spoil Whedon's plans and he'll not put them in after all? I've got an idea. In one of the films, he could be called Mercury. That's a genius idea, Dan. Thanks. Chris? That's a good idea. I think we should go with that. Mm. I think so. Uh, let's pretend uh, we were in Cannes last week and didn't talk about superhero stuff at all. Sure. So explain who Quicksilver is. To Quicksilver people. is um, basically a very fast guy. He's kind of uh, is a bit like the Flash if you're more of a DC reader. Um, he's he's extraordinarily. He could speed He's got flash. silver hair as well. He so has he's silver quick. He has silver hair. And he has silver hair. Thanks. And he his name is Pietro. He, his name is Pietro Maximoff. Yes. Um, Maximoff comes from the person they thought was their dad. Basically, there's been a lot of toing and froing over the actual origins of. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch that's his sister Wanda mm-hmm. uh, she has not yet been cast in Days of Future Past um, but she, she hexes people doesn't she she, she hexes, hexes people but more generally her power is to actually alter probability and reality itself and the, the House of M series in the comics which is an absolutely terrific limited run um, saw her change the world and depower 90% of the world's mutants which was a massive event in Marvel Good idea. lore well they, they, it got to the point where there were too many mm. of them and basically mm. Marvel wanted to get rid of some so I, anyway um, that was but, but that's way in the future I can't see characters. Scarlet Witch being part of the X-Men universe although they might do it just as a spoiler for the, for the Avengers you never know if you're but, being cynical you might think this, mm. this was all a spoiler for the Avengers but surely we're not that cynical, Chris. Um, I'm, I'm slight. My, my, my on, superpower Chris. at the moment is slight cynicism. I'll be honest. The timing of this announcement makes me uh, stroke my my. What you mean? You mean with, facial hair. You mean with uh, shooting already well underway for Days of Future Past, and the fact that most casting has been announced months ago, and that this has come out literally the week after Whedon announced he was doing it. You mean that? Yes. That's just speculation, and we don't do that. We we Whedon didn't do that we didn't uh, do that but yeah it's, it's very interesting uh, I can't see Quicksilver playing a major part this is played by Evan Peters by the way yes. he was, uh, you may have seen in Kick-Ass um, as I don't, know, I don't know if he's in the sequel but he, he's certainly in yeah. the first movie he doesn't hang around for long he doesn't hang around for long uh, but doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't get killed or anything he's just he's no, not he's, he's yeah. just part of it. he's, he's gone just not a he's part of it. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting Quicksilver is obviously going to be much much bigger part of of the Avengers I don't think it's going to be the same actor it's not going to be the same character this isn't a uh, a Fox Marvel crossover no I, I know there have been ambitions for from some in both camps that that would one day happen I, I don't think this is that no I can't see uh, I, I, I can almost imagine that I don't know if, if Joss Whedon he'd want sign off wouldn't he on who plays Quicksilver in his movie I imagine so yeah Yeah, and also that uh, huge kind of worms if that's the same actor same character so uh, keep an eye on that situation be interesting to see if, uh, if either uh, Joss Whedon who we've got on the podcast in a couple of weeks we do so we'll have to uh, Brian Singer if they comment on this we can actually yeah. ask him about it to his we face can. and everything we can whether he'll answer is another matter yes. entirely but we'll see uh, okay is that the, uh, the news that's the news wrapped up nice and easy Time for another interview now. After Earth, a futuristic sci-fi movie in which Will and Jaden Smith, look at that, two Smiths for the price of one, are stranded on Earth a thousand years after mankind has left the planet. It's out in the UK next week, but it opens in the States this week. So it seems a perfect time then to bring to you our interview with this director, the man behind the likes of The Sixth Sense, Signs, The Village, and The Happening, and The Last Airbender. (coughs) It's M. Night Shyamalan, of course. And he was talking to Helen and Phil. Enjoy. All right. Well, welcome uh, to the podcast, our very special guest, M. Night Shyamalan. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. After Earth, it's a it's a it's a big story. It's a huge sci-fi epic, and you've got you know a job of kind of world building to do because you 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 tell essentially a thousand years of history in the first sort of five minutes of the film. It's <laughs> That's quite impressive. True. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a different kind of history. I think um, you know when we think of sci-fi movies and Blade Runner, kind of started us thinking like, what would this technology be in the future? But in, in our movie, th- it didn't work out for us. And so it's a it's a different kind of post-apocalyptic world. We started over mm-hmm. from scratch. 
on another planet. And so it was. I spent a year with the production designer, kind of imagining what that world would be like. And I'm inherently a super positive guy, so you know I didn't see it dark at all. I saw kind of like we did it better this time, and and so there's great beauty and, and thought into the culture. Um, mixed cultures as well um, in in the approach there. So when you see it, I think you'll feel like it's really different than a future than you've seen before. Whenever Jaden's character, his fear kind of gets the better of him or he starts to act in a kind of irrational, panicky way, yeah. Will Smith, his dad, says, take a knee. Right, right. Have you, have you tried that on your daughters yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I got this a military academy right near our house. And so I went there to visit the cadets and the head the head of the academy. I said, what do you do when a kid's freaking out, when a cadet's freaking out? He goes, I'd say, take a knee. And then they kneel down on the ground. I was like, I wrote that down. That's going in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was, what was it like in this case? Because Will Smith had a big part in, in originating the idea of this mm -hmm. film and, and, and working with you, obviously, very closely. And, you know, you are very much an auteur. You yeah. know, you're, you're a writer and director. So did that kind of change the relationship, change the dynamic, I guess? It, did, it did. It was it was a good challenge for me because I guess, you know, left to my own devices, I, I if no one was involved in anything, like no studios, nothing, I'd make Tree of Life every single time. <laughs> so I literally, unless someone goes, I have no idea what you just made for the last 20 minutes of this movie. And I'd be like, yeah, isn't it wonderful? It's ambiguous. And you know, so people go, you know, someone has to understand what you're saying. W Will said that you talked about poetry, mm -hmm. the poetry of the shot a lot. Yeah. You have to like shake you and yeah. go, there's action and stuff. Was there a bit of a push and pull with Will on that kind of, on, on where the movie was going to go at any given moment? You know, I think when you see the movie, I think you'll, you can see the influence from both, I think, you know. Um, it's, it was, it was again, I really, I'm being honest, it was a good, it was a good thing for me, a good exercise to have someone say, you know, make it muscular at this point. You know, are you, what, what, where is the audience? Why? Are, what, what are you thinking? The audience is feeling the, those kind of questions, as opposed to the more I'm coming from character or from something that I'm trying to say philosophically or artistically, um, composition-wise or colors. Like I'm, I'm. I spent a year designing the look of the movie and looking. You know, if you come to the thing, you'll see paintings and all. And I'll say, well, you know, the the golds and reds from the Goya paintings. That's the interior of the of the spaceship. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if, you know, and I would say, you know, let's say, I, we didn't have those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of Goya conversations with me. And Wh which Goyas were the, the sort of the dark yes, faces? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that kind of that. So I talked to cinematographer Peter Shushetsky, who's yeah. actually from London, and uh, he did an incredible job. He actually shot Empire Strikes Back, which is amazing. Yeah. And that must, because a lot of people do like working with, taking crews on, film on film, working yeah. with them, building, and sort of knowing what you get. And I guess you're sparked by maybe that surprise and unpredictability. You worked with Christopher Doyle, didn't you? The great Christopher Doyle, yeah, who is wow. nothing if not unpredictable. Yeah, Christopher Doyle, for all of you that know, he's basically like Keith Richards' cinematographer. <laughs> you know, he's complete rock and roller. You know, we had a, a tank of water, and of course he takes all his clothes off and jumps in, and the crew jumps out. You know, he's he's crazy. He's a crazy dude, but brilliant. You know, I um, he shot In the Mood for Love. I don't know if you guys have seen yes, that. Yeah. Yes, One of my favorite movies. I have that poster in my house, and so I, I asked him to come do Lady in the Water for me to give the kind of a, kind of, again, the richness of colors, and, the, and he's so romantic in the way he shoots things. Yeah, you kind of knew what you were going to get a little bit with him. Oh, I, I don't mind. Any, any <laughs> if you're talented, you go walk around naked. I don't care at all, man. As long as you're doing, you know, bringing a, a, an artistic standard to the table, that's all. That's the only thing that drives me. It really doesn't. Even success doesn't. It's it's, it's a, that's a safety mechanism that you want the film to be successful. But the thing that makes me the happiest is when. Um, so a cinematographer, a costumer says, mm. "I had this idea. I want to use this fabric for this reason." And I go, "Oh my god, that's mm. that's so beautiful." Having that kind of creative urge, does that slightly sort of bulletproof you from some of the negativity that because you you know yeah, there yeah, has yeah. been bad yeah. bad experience. You've had some yeah. you know brickbats thrown in your direction in the last few years. Do you, do, does that kind of? Yeah, it definitely does because I think you know as a if you if you think of yourself, you know whether I'm right or wrong, I think of myself as an artist then you just keep making your paintings and they will constantly be reevaluated as 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 your body of work grows from like oh you know that's who he is and so you don't if you're if your sole thing is um, other people's opinion or success or money or things like that and those are valid practical concerns then you're going to have a very you know your 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 happiness is in someone else's 
hands, right? And whereas if, again, if I, if it's an artistic thing, then it's in the, how I, you know, surround myself with the right artists and spending the right time in the lean-ins and the beauty that I can get out of each project. So I know it sounds like a, you know, flowery answer, but honestly, I mean, I get so happy just, you know, making movies that, um, and I've seen so many, you know, being, you know, famous, I always say is like being in high school forever. It's like, <laughs> everybody, everybody says, oh, did you see what she was wearing? Oh my God, you know, and they say, I heard she did this or did that. And you go, you're dealing with that for your, your whole life. You go, I can't believe what this is having in the millions and millions of people are being in high school with you. So, <laughs> and I always tell my kids that. And when, uh, you know, when, when we're walking outside and my kids are little and some, you know, we'll walk somewhere and people will come up, oh, I love your movies or I love this, or, I love that. My kids will go, that was the eighth person that came up to you and then I'll really when they do that and I see their eyes light up a little bit getting a little bit you know into the whole fame thing and I'll say you know those eight people don't know me and if they thought I made a bad movie they would be whispering about your about your dad over in the corner and saying <laughs> a bad thing those same eight people they don't know you know and it's wonderful that they connect but just you know they're connecting to the work but they don't know me at all mm. um, and then so, so it's be careful about wanting that or thinking that that's great you know yeah I mean, there was a famous Newsweek cover a few years ago describing you as potentially the next Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Well, that must have been a <laughs> <Gun>. mixed blessing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, they, they were so sweet of them to do that and all that stuff. But again, whenever, an, like, you know, a basketball player comes up and they compare him to someone great or something, that's just, you immediately, like, I, like I'm a huge basketball fan. That's why. Yeah, so yeah. when somebody says, for example, like a new player comes out and they say, oh, he's the next Michael Jordan. I'm angry at that player immediately. <laughs> that player has done nothing to me, but no one compare anybody to Michael Jordan with me. I will I will start to fist fight, right? So you immediately say that, and now I'm angry at that guy. And all I want is to prove that that guy is not Michael Jordan, right? So it's it's fascinating human nature like that. Yeah, when it came out, and I remember they, they, they kind of, back in those days, they faxed it to cover. So fat cover came in, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that player may never want to be seen on a golf course or doing any sort of Michael Jordan type things and by the same token yeah. do you, is there a part of you that kind of wants to almost like wipe the slate clean a little bit you know these films aren't twist they don't have the big twist that yeah I mean I think for. yeah when you're thinking when you become known for something you, that, that the reductionary quality of a you know a generalization is that you oh you're known to be do scary movies with twists but that's not I, I do like to do that sometimes and sometimes I just like to make dramas and sometimes I like to make kids movies and you know um, so it's a tricky thing of trying to be um, varied yeah. as an artist and and be known for something specific. It's it's a it's a fascinating thing. I think that's the the conflict of art and commerce and 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 right there because in commerce it's great. You Starbucks, you Starbucks. You know mm. you make yeah. that's why. But suddenly if Starbucks stops selling coffee, you'd say what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're making toasters now. <laughs> um, I, this is. Uh, this is obviously, I, I love seeing big sci-fi on the big screen and I think it's great that we're, we're beginning to see that because it felt for years that there was a, maybe an occasional space opera but there wasn't kind mm. of sci-fi in the way that I read in books and, and everything mm. else. Um, but but did it give you any pause when, when the number of other kind of big sci-fi post-apocalyptic projects that were out this year started to kind of fall onto the slate as well? You're like, uh, oh my goodness, there's Oblivion, you know, there's Elysium, there's a, there's a lot of films exploring not the same but yes. similar ideas or similar ideas. you know what I, I, I don't think like that I remember when I was you know young I was I had an idea to write a movie about ghosts and this is going to sound ridiculous this is the truth so I was like oh I, I love the subject of ghosts maybe I'll make a movie about that then I heard that that DreamWorks well it was Amblin at the time was making Casper and I was like oh damn I can't make this movie now <laughs> so I literally stopped thinking about that movie wow. and then later I was like that's ridiculous when it came out I was like that's not what I was making at all and so I wrote Six Sense you know yeah. and it was it was it and you you can get so turned off by everything at this point actually I realized that you know authors are all we're all reacting to the same stimuli mm -hmm. so a tsunami hits and four years later there's a lot of post-apocalyptic movies that's not a coincidence that's mm -hmm. we were all emotionally affected by it and are thinking about our futures and what's the future for humanity mm -hmm. and each of us has a new a different color of it and here it is it comes out now it's all the graduation of that same moment there's been projects that you've been linked with in the past and i wonder if there's any in particular that you'd kind of root that you wish you'd been involved in 
Um, that I wish I did. Yeah, oh, you talked I'm about Harry all of Potter. Them, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's there's always a moment where you're deciding based on, you know, for me, I don't make any decisions based on, you know, financial success. You know, in fact, bizarrely, I'm whatever it's maybe a, a personality um, flaw that it, it the more the safer it is, the less I'm imp- in, inclined to do it. If I'm like, oh, that's definitely going to succeed. Really? I kind of I lose the drive. I need I need to have the the chance of failure. It has to be like uh, dangerous, new, you know that kind of thing. So that's why I kind of even though I've had all the intention in the world to have made sequels to some of my movies, I just don't do it. I haven't done it yet, and um, I, I I haven't have ideas for them. I just haven't done it yet, or or been a part of other franchises that have asked me to do their sequels and that kind of thing. Um, and even the thought of. Um, giving up and some weird original idea is always difficult for me but yeah no there's some amazing projects like the harry potters obviously the first one and um a couple of them they asked me after but the first one was definitely one we i had a conversation about but i had the, the premise was I had, we have to move here so that was uh that was a big family yeah big family decision obviously that's a big life decision yeah. right so to, to move here so but we did definitely have the conversation I remember actually sitting in the shower going should we move to England should we move <laughs> and then you saw the weather and decided no. <laughs> <laughs> well you're a Philly guy right it's not yeah. always sunny in Philly no we actually have very similar uh, temperatures and, and um, I, I feel always at home here when I come here I'm like mm. this is just like Philadelphia <laughs> <laughs> there's no basketball team in Watford though unfortunately <laughs> and Life of Pi was another Oh and I wonder yeah. if you, have you seen Ang Lee's Life I of Pi I did it's beautiful yeah. yeah I mean when I heard he was doing it I was so happy but yeah originally I was doing Life of Pi and um, how would yours have differed um, you know I, funny. it was funny I was cleaning out my desk the other day and I saw um, Catherine over here represents Ang Lee as well so, so now, oh, see, okay. now we're still doing Life of Pi interviews see <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and I was cleaning out my desk, and I, I found my all my my the notebook with all the Life of Pi notes in it, and what I, every scene and what I was gonna do and all that stuff. Because I the author had come, Yan Martel had come yeah. to my house, and we we talked through everything. And I was gonna build the boat in my backyard so I could do each shot and like work out the shots. And I I had sketches of what the boat would look like and all that stuff. And it's fa- it's so fascinating. Wow. In fact, if it were ever possible for two artists to do the same story and just show you the two different versions mm-hmm. of it, it would be incredibly interesting yeah. to see. Because I, I, when I looked at the notes, and, and it would have been impossible for me to imagine it now. Let's say you said, oh, now remake Life of Pi. It would be impossible because I saw Ang's, mm. Ang's version. I can't get it out of my head, right? But I had the other version written down, so it was fascinating to see it. It was really dark. It was, it was scary. It was like Hitchcockian really? thing on a boat. And sort of lifeboat. It is kind of lifeboat yeah. in a way, isn't yeah. it? Without the Nazi, but with the giraffe. <laughs> exactly. No giraffe, hyena. <laughs> but he did such a beautiful job. I was so happy um, that when I heard he was doing it. Yeah. You know, you know how you've dealt with fear in your mm-hmm. career. I read, I read you talking about The Last Airbender and saying that there was a moment when fear. you were kind of subsumed by not really knowing how to play a big scene and a lot of extras on, on set. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm always, there's, I'm terrified all the time. And I'm, you know, there's a, we were talking about Steven Spielberg earlier. There's a there's a, a book that we, he kept a diary on that. I think it's called the Jaws Logs or something like that. Mm. So great because and I, I always kind of think of that because you know he would describe wanting to like vomit every day before going to set. You know, didn't know he was scared to death. You know, movie he didn't know what he was doing. The movie was like seemed out of control. The studio was like, why did we let this kid direct this movie? Yeah. And um, from that comes purity and from that you know you a new form of yourself comes and you want to be at as again i i strongly believe in being at risk um for growth yeah so you know as risk yourself and i tell my kids all the time you're you and i i say this to one of my kids all the time i say you're not failing enough you need to fail <laughs> more because this is, this is the pixar philosophy as well fail it fail early fail often really is is what they they literally tell everyone in the studio absolutely and so my kid like who's the one i was talking about mm-hmm. who's kind of good at everything but doesn't really push herself you know she gets the a minus without even thinking and i'm like and i'm like you you haven't when's the last time you failed and she's like i i have really haven't and i go that's a problem you're not growing at all you're not growing fast enough and and so, but so I'm kind of contradicting myself. I hate feeling scared, <laughs> but I, I feel it's necessary to, to continue to grow because, you know, fear is basically tied to the unknown. And uh, so you don't want to become like my mom takes the same car route 
to go to get the groceries at the same grocery store for like 40 years. I'm like, mom, there are other stores with other food. There's other <laughs> things to see. Why? No, I like why. Leave me alone. And I'm like, this is, you're not growing, mom. You either. Where's she you, supposed to go? It's like a dangerous well, neighborhood you should drive through so you can grow personally. Yeah, my parents live in a dangerous neighborhood. <laughs> Please. There's like 10 minutes away, there's like this Whole Foods naturalistic place. You know, nope. She's still getting, <laughs> still getting her box frozen pizzas from that same, <laughs> the same, same grocery store. So you are, as a human being, and my, I use my mom all the time as an example. You are. Um, don't don't mean to bash my mom. I love you, mom. <laughs> uh, but you're either you're you're growing, you're either expanding, yeah. or you're calcifying. You're not staying the same at every single mm. moment of your life. So there's no there's no option to stay the same. So if you're not if you my mom is doing that, she's calcifying. So small, you know, we are meant to get more efficient. Our brains and everything, how we do things, conserve, conserve. So you're fighting against that constantly by reading a different book by having a different associate with you mm. you know that kind of thing working with Chris Doyle right yeah, yeah. it forces you to open up your mom just thought she was having a pizza but she was actually calcifying she's all making the while. choices that's amazing there's a second mom shout out we've had in like two weeks yeah. Damon Lindelof was shouting out to his mom last time was so he, was he also bashing his mom and apparently she listens to our podcast so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to ask what's next for you because you've, you've mentioned there's something on, on the word processor at the moment so. yeah I'm, well, bef bef well first I'm actually doing a TV show mm -hmm. For Fox, I'm doing a, a pilot for for Fox, and it's called Wayward Pines. Yeah. And they've they, they've greenlit the first season, and so I'm I'm directing the pilot. I might direct and the second episode, and and then then oversee all the writing and everything for the show. But it's so so cool. It's a kind of Twin Peaksy kind of show, very bizarre, and we're we're definitely put going to push the envelope cinematically. Um, and I asked that. I had a conversation with the head of Fox, and I said. So what am I allowed to do? And he's like, whatever you want. And I go, be careful. <laughs> I said, we're on TV. I said, so if I want to shoot a whole speech of the star on the back of his head, what do you say? And he goes, knock yourself out. So I was like, okay. So you might Ooh. see a whole speech on the back of somebody's wow. head. <laughs> <laughs> Before we let you go, we have to have a third act twist, which is your third act twist from the Entourage cameo. <laughs> How did that come about? That was awesome. And what was the twist with the, with the doves? The what? What do you say? Wasn't there a twist with the doves in the first... In the first draft of, of the script that you gave to Ari Gold. Oh, you, oh, that you weren't happy with. Do you, right. do you, remember you have about a better that? memory of this episode than I do. <laughs> I, was, I got it, went out there for two days to shoot it. It was It's funny because um, um, Mark, obviously Mark Wahlberg, is the, the show's based on him and he's the executive, but he was, me and him are friends and we, he was in uh, The Happening. We were just in pre-production on The Happening and they called the show and said, hey, would you be on? And I was absolutely, I love that show. By the way, I love goofing around. I love making fun of myself and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, just go to town on me, man. And they're like, don't worry, we will. <laughs> so I flew out and, and had the greatest time making uh, making the show and goofing around with Jeremy Piven and all that stuff. And ironically, um, in that in that show, I'm represented by Ari. On that, and now the character that that's based on the per human being is actually my agent. So is that right? <laughs> See, life has... Uh, in the title <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in. And After Earth is out on the June seventh. June seventh. June seventh. June seventh. Thank you so much, guys. And right there, if you're still craving interviews galore, we have a brilliant podcast special with Gillian Anderson coming up, in which she talks about the fall, her illustrious career, and a little show called The X Files in some detail. That's up now for you lucky people to listen to, and it's about an hour long, and it's uh, very, very enjoyable. Time for reviews now. Lovely, lovely reviews with the big guns of Man of Steel and the Wolverine gathering in the distance. Time for some smaller films to take advantage of a lull at the box office. First off is Neil Jordan's Byzantium. What are our thoughts on Byzantium? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's familiar, familiar territory, isn't it, for Neil Jordan? Um, vampires again, and one of them is a child vampire well I suppose a teenage vampire a little bit older than Kirsten Dunst was in an interview with a vampire mm -hmm. and you know it's set on a on a seafront and a kind of sort of strange sort of slightly naff decaying um, beach resort mm -hmm. um, I it was it's an interesting film I thought um, Arterton as the mother of the two and there's a reason why there's not much of a an age difference between the two characters and their mother and daughter, which, again, is interesting. It's an interesting dynamic between the two leading characters. Um, and I kind of, it kind of has its own sort of 
strange law that's different from established vampire law. So, for example, will they draw the blood with their thumbnails sharp? Then the, the, their thumbnails grow long and sharp, and they jab people in the throat with their thumbnails, and then uh, and then drink lap the blood up, uh, which actually seems more practical to me than the idea of. Uh, you know, holes, holes in fangs mm. or just, just tearing with the fangs and then... Anyway, I thought about this <laughs> and concluded that I never want to be immortal. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, so, yeah, it's it's that's interesting. But, I, yeah, I kind of started... It sort of started to lose me a bit towards the end. It got a bit muddled. The story kind of felt quite familiar. Um, and, and it just got very, ultimately, very predictable. So I kind of came out it's sort of somewhere in the middle on it. Mm. I thought it worked really well as a mood piece. Yeah. I enjoyed the kind of the, the the way that the these different laws kind of gelled. I know Neil Jordan's obviously made his last film Ondine was kind mm. of a, a an Irish folktale. Selkie movie. A yeah. Selkie movie, yeah, exactly. And he's done obviously an interview with the vampire and the, and the 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 Transylvanian law of Dracula and the vampire kind of melded merged really well with that with that kind of Celtic thing and also it's set in an Irish sorry in an English mm. seaside a dank Forty Towers like Daniel Mays <laughs> yeah. has got this kind of Forty Towers like it turns it's turned into a brothel but it's a, just a decaying B&B mm. which is a very English thing so there's all these sort of different folky elements coming together to create something that you know is misty and interesting and new but you're right I felt that the actual the story itself that did that is feeling a bit played out now. I think mm. this 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 vampire and these questions of I- immortality, blessing or curse. Yeah. The the interesting part for me was it's split, it split across two timelines, and I think a lot of people are saying that two hundred years ago, the bit which has Johnny Lee Miller's character and Sam Riley's character didn't. I was more interested in the modern day bit, but for those reasons, I just thought mm. it was interesting. I preferred was, the period stuff. Yeah, most people do. I just I I, I just thought the, the the modern stuff just felt kind of interestingly timeless in a weird okay. way mm. um, so we gave it four stars and yeah. I think you and I are both probably yeah, a little, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit I'm a bit lower than, than a little than lower that. than that yeah, but I can yeah, see I definitely see why I, I, I could see the appeal yeah I, I'm slightly more for I think it's uh, it's a really interesting take on the mythos there's a, there's a nice feminist angle as well which obviously was always going to go over well with me um is that these uh, these immortals? The, the word vampire, I think I'm right in saying, isn't actually used in the film. Um, and these immortals don't immortalize women, and and they, mm. they consider that Gem Arden's kind of stolen something from them. So it's kind of a, an interesting twist on mm. the on the lore. So yeah, mm. I enjoy and it. And the idea of vampires being a boys' club, yeah, that, yeah. that sort of that's that's kind of a bloody typical. Yes, yes. And it's good to see Saoirse Ronan. She's you know we're seeing her to teach her adolescence on screen, and she's just such fantastic actress yeah. and Gemma Rosten too is very good in this yeah very good and next up is all-star marital comedy The Big Wedding in which a group of big names like Robert De Niro Robin Williams Catherine Heigl Amanda Seyfried and Diane Keaton faff around for yeah. ages is that roughly the idea That's pretty much yeah. it yeah I think honestly I, I want to give some credit here I think that they've tried to do something interesting they've tried to kind of take the the big star Rom ensemble rom com and and give it a little bit of edge. So there's a bit more kind of bad language than you'd expect here. There's a bit more sex than you might expect here. Uh, steady, but at the same time they haven't gotten rid of any of the cliches. And surely if you're going to change something, it's actually not the language that we want to change. It's some of the cliches. So they mm. live in this incredibly over-designed, insanely beautiful house. Robin Williams is once again an eccentric Catholic priest. Catherine Heigl is once again unlucky in love. You know, uh, Diane Keaton is once again single late in life, but still fabulous. Um, I mean, I just kind of wanted to punch most of them. Um, the only good thing is uh, you've got, you know, you've got Robert, Robert De Niro, I think is actually quite good in this. It's kind of, he's quite, you know, it's a frothy kind of part, but he's Who not bad. He oh, he's kind of the family patriarch. So he used okay. to be married to Diane Keaton, left her for Susan Sarandon. No! I know. He's the father to uh, Topher Grace and Catherine Heigl, an adoptive father to Ben Barnes, who's meant to be Latino. And is marrying Amanda Seyfried. Oh, and yeah, you've seen Prince Caspian, right? Yeah, but my, my discomfort here is not so much that he's playing, you know, a South American it's that they then make race an issue and it seems a really bizarre thing to cast an English actor as a South American guy and then mm. make a big fuss about him being South American it just seems that seems bizarre to me anyway so we give it two we didn't like it very much so not good then no I'm afraid uh, <laughs> no it, too many cliches spoiled broth okay. I always say. 
two stars then for the big wedding and completing (laughs) (laughs) completing we don't have a review this week of The Purge we will have that up on the website very very soon that's the Ethan Hawke that's the I think that's the worst premise of any movie I've ever heard it's uh, literally uh, it takes place in a slightly futuristic society Mm. where on one night a year all crime is legal for 12 hours what Mm. so I'm very interested to see if that movie uh, rises above its premise let's face it it can't do any I I would so sell pirate DVDs during that that (laughs) night but I think the idea is that you know the idea is that it's called the purge because then people will be killed as a result of this purge but surely everyone would just start hitting banks and casinos and start robbing yeah. things rather than killing people you think I don't so quite it's like supermarket sweep for I, the I, whole I, country yeah. I, if, there was a, if there was a time in which I was allowed to kill I would why are you looking at me it's getting dark again let's move on Dan you're not coming back then he looked at me uh, okay completing Helen's two row reviews this week uh, we have the French comedy Populaire, uh, which I see is being billed on the tube as Mad Men meets the artist. So is that is yeah. that right? <laughs> That's kind of the easy the easy sell. I think it's it's um it's a bit almost Amelie in the sixties a little bit as well. So it's basically about this um young girl who gets a job as a typist in a small town uh, insurer's firm, uh, working with lovely Romendori, and she's a bit rubbish as a as a secretary, uh, but she can type very fast. So he trains her to type even faster and enters her in, in typing speed competitions, which used to be a big huge thing and this leads to fame and fortune but will it lead to true love Okay. <laughs> that, that was a lot of words per minute there, Helen. That, was a, that yeah. was a speed reviewing competition because yeah. I think we're about to be kicked out of the pod booth. We are, yeah. um, Sorry, so he enters a where? In a typing competition. In a typing Chris. competition. Okay, sorry. That's, that's all I heard. I kind of tuned out after Don't that. Don't so, so quirty. Three, <laughs> I've just quirted all over the place. Uh, so three stars for I that. I got three stars. Yeah, it's very likeable, but it's not quite as, as sharp and clever as you maybe want it to be. Berenice Bejo is in it as well, which is probably worth mentioning. Ah, very good, very good cast. Berenice Bejo. So, uh, so someone from The Artist is in it and it's set in the same period as Mad Men. Hence, hence Mad the Men meets the oh, artist. Right, then. It's almost like movie posters lie to you just to get you to see the film. <gasps> What? I don't know. Crazy. Not the Empire uh, bit of any movie poster, of, of course. Of course not. Of course not. Apart from the quote that was once entirely attributed to me and was completely made up. Yes. But then we'll, we'll get on another that's not, podcast. Let's not go sure. there, Chris. Let's not go there. Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Michael Shannon, star wow. of Man of Steel, who's going to become the second General Sod we've had in our pod booth. Wow. Or should I say... <laughs> Sod booth. Oh no! Oh, you've never said that before, Chris. He's actually here I, to talk about the Iceman, isn't he? Oh, well, actually, who who yeah. is also in Days of Future Past? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but then who isn't? Uh, okay, well, uh, until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Dan. Ape shall not kill ape. It's <laughs> goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. I'm off to kneel before Candy Crush Saga. See you then.